Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 61 of the We Know Ball podcast. Glad to have you guys in today on a beautiful Wednesday. We are one day away. One more day until NFL football is back. We got a fun show for you guys today. We're going to be talking about all things football. Because that's what it is. There's no basketball. There's no hockey. There's pretty much no golf up until the Ryder Cup here in a couple of weeks. And baseball, yeah, while it's in season, it's also uh, just kind of meh right now, right? Baseball's in the dog days. September's the final month of the regular season. As previously discussed, at least in my opinion, the baseball championship the team that's going to win the World Series this year in 2023 is already determined based on their performance. And we'll touch on that a little bit with baseball, but we do also have our We Know Baseball podcast. So if you guys want to go check that out, if you haven't checked it out, uh, it's done by myself. It's part of the We Know Ball uh, group of podcasts. We Know Baseball. So just an extension of the We Know Ball podcast because We Know Ball covers all things ball all the time. We Know Baseball is a baseball only show. And before we get into the football, both college and the NFL, we can and will follow up with that baseball segue and that intro that we included there at the beginning of the show, because we do want to talk briefly about baseball. And for those of you that maybe don't listen to the We Know Baseball podcast, which if you haven't, you definitely should. If you're not following baseball as tirelessly as you are, maybe football or you aren't ex- as excited about baseball as you are football or whatever other sports, totally understand. But what I will say is that the Atlanta Braves, as mentioned previously, are far and away the best team in baseball, in my opinion. But also based on almost every single statistic and metric that you have to deal with now the dodgers are probably their greatest challenger in the national league to get to the world series and just over this past weekend the atlanta braves went to los angeles for a four game series against the dodgers took three out of the four ronald acuna went ballistic and hit a homer in the first three games of the series including a 100 21 mile an hour home run. And the Dodgers were able to salvage the final game of the series, but I mentioned this on the We Know Baseball podcast. If basically I was going to say win, and I'll just say 
when, not if, when the Dodgers and Braves play each other in the National League Championship Series for a shot to go to the World Series in October, the way that that series just unfolded with the Braves and Dodgers in four games is about what I would expect to happen in October when they play each other. I think with the Braves having home field, they'll win the first two games at home. They might lose game three against the Dodgers, but then they win games four and probably game five. I expect if it's a, if it's a Braves Dodgers matchup, I expect it to be Braves in five. Anybody else in the national league, the Braves will sweep them. And depending on who they get in the world series, whether it's the Astros or the Mariners or uh, I was going to say somebody in the American league. Yeah. I mean, I guess the Orioles is just the pitching depth for the Orioles is a little bit iffy for me right now. And I don't think anybody else in the American league East is a legitimate threat. The Rays are pretty solid. The Blue Jays are a good baseball team. The Twins and the American League Central are going to win that division and get destroyed by whoever they play. I think the American League representative in the World Series is going to come out of the West, and that would be Rangers, Astros, or Mariners. The Rangers have taken a gigantic slide in the last two weeks or so. I think they're like 4-14 four, four and 14 in their last 18 games, uh, and their pitching is not coming through their bullpen is just getting slaughtered so i if i had to put money on a specific world series matchup right now today september 6th i would go braves and astros 2021 rematch that's what i would do but as we talked about on the show and and uh also talked about extensively on we know baseball the braves are a well-oiled machine they are unstoppable they are they're a they are an let's make sure i get this grammatically correct they are an unstoppable force they are an immovable object there's nothing you can do to slow them down uh especially over the course of like a four five six seven game series you can beat them in one game certainly can you look at the dodgers and uh and you know what? Actually, yeah, we can spend a little bit of time talking about this too on the We Know Ball show because it's an issue that's specific to baseball at the moment, but it's also an issue that's surfaced in all kinds of sports across all realms. And it has an impact on more than I think just the team itself, but talking specifically about the Dodgers as a team, they're already dealing with injuries with Tony Gonsolin who is done for this year and will not pitch this year and probably next year. You have Dustin May, who got his second arm surgery. He's done. You have an aging Clayton Kershaw, who I will give credit to, has performed at an extremely high level this year, but we all know how he performs in the playoffs and relying on a 35, 36-year-old Clayton Kershaw with not much to back it up in the rotation is not exactly a recipe for success. And then the Dodgers have Walker Bueller coming back from what is his second Tommy John. Who knows if he'll be even close to fully ramped up when it comes time to play some postseason baseball. Yeah, you know, he may be able to come in, give you three innings as a start, four innings potentially. But ultimately, again, a wild card. And then you have 
what I consider it, it's honestly it's hard to talk about just because well there's a lot of reasons but you also have this situation with the LA Dodgers and specifically Julio Arias who is now dealing with a second incident of domestic violence it's hard to say everybody deserves a second chance because of course that only applies to situations and mistakes and decisions that aren't entirely detrimental to the health of other human beings and once is an accident twice is a pattern and that is the case with Julio Urias now did he you know permanently injure whoever his domestic partner is and you know is it murder is it all these terrible things no it's not right perspective but what it is is a pattern from Julio Arias of really just disturbing behavior and what it shows I think more than anything is that some people have default settings or behaviors that they fall back on when they're faced with situations of adversity or disagreement or increased emotion, right? Some people, when they get into a fight with their spouse or their significant other, they curl up in a ball, they shut down, you know, they want nothing but space. They don't want to be talked to for a long time. Some people, they start yelling. Some people, uh, gaslight, right? All these different words and all these different scenarios are things that you could talk about in conflict resolution. Those are people's default behaviors that they fall back on when they're faced with those types of altercations. Julio Rios's default behavior is violence. And when it's not just violence, but it's violence against a female significant other in your household, there is no place for anybody like that in professional sports, especially when it's a second and third situation there's no place for somebody like that to have that type of default mechanism and default behavior of violence to be a representative or even a member of a league or or an organization that people watch and go to to enjoy the entertainment value and look up to some of these uh, athletes and entertainers. So if I was Major League Baseball, of course, investigation pending, and it's not guilty until proven innocent. However, there's also a track record already in place. And if it comes out that Julio Arias committed the same sort of violation that he did last time when he received a 20-game suspension, or worse, just get rid of him. Get him out of the link. He's gone. He's gone. If Trevor Bauer got over a full season suspension worth of games, and this is a number two violation for Julio Arias, get him out. I don't want to see him on a mound ever again. I don't want to see him pitching in the major leagues ever again. And you know what? I don't even feel a smidgen bad for him, and I, I never will 
feel a smidgen bad for somebody like him or somebody that goes through what he he is currently going through. Because every single day in your life, you're faced with a choice. You're faced with an opportunity to react to every situation that's presented to you. Good, bad, indifferent, whatever the case may be. And everybody has an opportunity to choose the better of all the choices, or at least not the worst choice. And even more so, when you're a person of power or a person of, of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, when you're a person of power or you're a person of high influence or you're a person of high income, you're able to gain access and perspective on a lot of things that some people don't have perspective on. And you're able to take a step back most of the time and recognize, wow, I have a lot more to lose than other people do. So even if man, my first instinct is to jump towards something violent, gonna have to make some self-control decisions and realize and recognize there are 5 million other people that are more than capable of doing what I do on a daily basis as whether an athlete, an actor, whatever the case may be. As a person of influence, there are millions and millions of other people that are capable of and would love to be doing what I do for a living. So instead of abusing my situation or lacking any perspective at all, any self-control, any sort of personal guidance, utilizing the resources around me, I'm just going to divert back to my roots and just instantly become violent. It's despicable. And it's honestly confusing, but more so it's just gross. And if I was Major League Baseball, I would make sure with all my power and all my might that Julio Arias never steps on the mound of a Major League Baseball game again. Because what does that say about us as an organization? If we're Major League Baseball or if we're the LA Dodgers or if we're another team in Major League Baseball, oh, Julio Arias, isn't that the guy that sucker punched his wife twice? or choked his wife, or did all these terrible things to his significant other. It's negative PR, it's bad for the league, and it shows, oh, well, as a league, we don't really care if you break the law or violate our domestic violence guidelines or whatever the case is. We don't care what you do. So I hope Major League Baseball does something about it, because Julio Arias getting arrested and discharged with domestic dispute, domestic violence stuff again. This is now the second time he's gotten into a domestic violence sort of uh legal trouble. It's it's just gross. It's like just get him out. Just get him out. Get him out. That's all I got for baseball so far. Uh like I said, things will be a little bit more settled and decided I think in about a week or two. Uh, but this show in general is going to start ramping up. And we know ball is not just a baseball show. Of course, it's football. It's all the other ones. But we know baseball is a baseball only show. So if you want to get more detailed reaction, more situational context of everything, not just Julio Arias, but the whole sport, the whole league, we know baseball. Go check it out. But transitioning now from baseball to football. So we have the NFL coming up here. And, you know, I. I'll do it at the end. What I was going to say is we went over, we, uh, we'll go over week one of college football. Then we'll talk about the NFL matchups. Some of the ones to note, some of the ones to ignore. 
Uh, and in college football, it was a pretty uh, exciting first week, right? You you had um, some pretty fun matchups. You had Utah and Florida. You had, let's see, Washington and Boise State was pretty darn good. You had, of course, TCU and Colorado, which we'll get into. UNC, North Carolina versus South Carolina. You had LSU, Florida State, top 10 matchup on Sunday night, and then Clemson and Duke. So it, I think the first week of college football really exposed what I, I think we've, we've seen this trend in football going this direction for the past decade. And I'm not sure if there's a way to get around it. I know that. I know that I'll put it this way. In the sport of football, there are definitive ways that you can guarantee your team is going to have at least some levels of success over the course of a full season. Number one, if you have a really physical team at the line of scrimmage, big boys on the offensive line, you get after the quarterback from the defensive line and you were able to stop the run game or at least mitigate the run game to an extent and play good enough defense, you're probably going to have above 500 success. On the flip side, if you have none of that, you're not a physical team at all, you don't have anything, but you have good skill position players, and even more specifically, you have a really talented quarterback, really good quarterback who can execute on all facets of quarterback play, you're also probably going to have a decent amount of sustained success just over a 500 or above record. Um, and that varies from the NFL to college. In college, it's more extreme. If you have a really good quarterback in college, you're going to be a good team. And if you have a really, really dominant physical presence on the offensive line of scrimmage and getting after the quarterback on defense, you're going to have a lot of success. You see that with Alabama. You see that with Georgia. You see that with the Big Ten schools to an extent. But now, as we transition to different eras of football throughout college football, different programs taking different approaches to success, right? Alabama used to be dominant, physical, run the football between the tackles, win on defense, and win football games. Then, in the more recent past, two, three, four years ago, they've been relying on really talented quarterback play and good skill position players. And honestly, pretty shoddy line of scrimmage uh, sort of... What am I looking for? They've relied on... More recently, Alabama's relied on talented quarterbacks, good skill position players, and they've sort of neglected the line of scrimmage to an extent. And you can win that way, and you can win in the dominant physical way. Just ask Georgia. But when you're Alabama, or you're Georgia, or you're Ohio State, and You've had an incredibly reliable, accurate, dependable, smart quarterback executing plays on the offensive side of the ball for you for the last two, three, four years. And you now transition away from those really, really talented quarterbacks into a situation with new starting quarterbacks. Uh, who are clearly not as talented, do not have the same quarterback skills, do not have the same accuracy, don't have nearly the intangibles that your old quarterback had. 
you're going to have to change the way you try to approach the game. Luckily for Georgia, they're always going to be really stout on defense. They're always going to be really talented. But I think if you matched up a team with solid line of scrimmage domination and average to below average quarterback play, and you matched that team up against a team like Notre Dame, who's solid at the line of scrimmage, pretty good, but they got a stellar quarterback in Sam Hartman. I would choose the path of Notre Dame or the path of solid starting quarterback play in today's day and age over the physicality that used to translate into, into success back in the early 2000s and 2010s. Not that I don't think that doesn't work because physical line of scrimmage domination will lead to success. But with the athleticism available and on display and these players coming out of high school be only just getting more and more and more athletic as years go on, you can be as big and as physical as you want, but speed is now just as important as strength and physicality, at least in the college game. And then if you have both, if you have really good quarterback play, you have great speed all over the field, and you dominate the line of scrimmage with a bunch of physical just specimens at the line of scrimmage, then you're Georgia in 2023, and nobody ever even presents you a challenge the entire year. Besides a really, really talented quarterback at Ohio State who ended up being the number two pick in the draft, and even then, it wasn't enough, and you guys take C.J. Shroud down, and you take down TCU in the snap of a finger. And it's over. So as you look forward here in the world of college football, and you talk about talented quarterback play and maybe lacking in other positions on the field, you've got, you know, LSU. Who has a decent quarterback in Jane Daniels, but they don't have anything else going for him. And then you have Florida State who takes them down and they have a good quarterback, and they dominate all over the field as far as physicality, then you see the domination come out and on display against a team like LSU. Clemson has pretty good athletes all over the field, pretty big boys, domination, or at least they like to think they have domination, and then they had nothing at quarterback play with Kay Klubnik. And Duke dominated them. And then you have a school and a coach and a philosophy like Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffs. Everyone's super pumped super hyped up about Colorado, about Deion Sanders, about what they did to number 17 TCU, as they should. But I think what Deion Sanders has done so far, just with the program since he's been the head coach, only through one game and probably going to end up being 2 or 3-0 and through his first handful of games. I think what Deion Sanders... What he's capable of as a head coach is more unique and 
I could put, I'll put it this way. Based on everything Deion Sanders has done at Colorado since he's joined with the transfers, with the first week victory over a ranked team, with the season ticket sellouts, all the different things combined. What he's done so far in a short time at Colorado, but also combined with his Jackson State head coaching time, is he's proven to me that he's capable of more as a head coach than any other head coach in the sport of college football. And I say that because you can hear all these other coaches with all these achievements across the sport of college football talk about, well, this is the way to win, or this is the way to recruit, or this is the way to do this, and this is the track record I have from Nick Saban, from Kirby Smart, from Jim Harbaugh. And all of what they say has some merit to it and is probably pretty true and pretty accurate. But what none of those coaches have is exactly what Deion Sanders has sitting in his back pocket when he tries to recruit some of the best players in the country from here on out as a head coach. And that is he can pull it out to a recruit considering all the schools across the country and go, if you want to be the best player on the best team and be an incredible athlete and a superstar caliber player making millions of dollars at the highest level and a champion. I've done all of that. And I can tell you exactly how to do it yourself. Nick Saban can't offer that. Kirby Smart cannot offer that. Jim Harbaugh, yeah, he played in the NFL. Yeah, he had a decent playing career. But did Jim Harbaugh win a Super Bowl and a World Series? Did Jim Harbaugh play two sports professionally at the highest level and gain a nickname like primetime? Deion Sanders already has a step above some of the best coaches in college football because he has something none of them have and none of them will ever have. And that is he's done it. He's recruiting the number one player in the country, let's say in the fall or the spring of next year. This kid's got an offer from Alabama, from Georgia, from Michigan, from Ohio State, from Florida, from USC. All Deion Sanders has to do is walk in the room and go, if you want to be a superstar, I know what it takes because I was and I am still a household name in this country. Both as a player and now as a coach, I played two sports professionally. I was the best athlete on every field I ever stepped on. And I can get you to that exact same point. If you come play for me. There's no other coach anywhere in the country that can say that sentence and have it hold any truth to it, except for Deion Sanders. Now, does this mean Colorado is going to win 15 national championships in a row? Of course not. It's going to take some time to build it up. But for those who doubted Deion Sanders or said, oh, it can't be done. You can't transfer over 50, 60, 70 different guys onto a new program and go out and have immediate success. Uh, you sure can. You absolutely can. And even more so, if you guys want to know what it takes to win and you want to know how 
it's not. It's not cringe. When Dion goes out and says and does the things that he does as a coach. As a former college athlete at a very low level, based on my experiences and based on the experiences and stories of people that I know who played at a much higher level than I did, both in college and professionally, I know for a fact that when a lot of players get feedback from coaches or constructive criticism or coaching of any kind, a lot of times the immediate response from a player, at least mentally, is like, who is this guy? Who is this guy telling me how to make a tackle? Who is this guy? telling me how to make a jump shot or how to hit a baseball or do this or do that. Who's this guy? Because if that guy was in my shoes, he wouldn't be doing any better than me. And that could probably hold true as an approach. If you were a player at a school like Alabama or a school like Georgia or a school like Michigan. Okay, Coach Saban, you want to chew my ear out in front of everybody on the sideline? Well, why don't you go try to tackle number 22? Why don't you try to return that punt or hold that block? Right? Because that's the challenge at least you put out. Now, most players with respect and dignity and all these different things, they understand that the coach is coaching and he's not saying I could do it better. It's just the nature of coach and player and the feedback and the back and forth. But with Deion Sanders, when he steps up into a guy's face and says, you need to break down, keep your hips turned towards the quarterback, you know, make sure you're not crossing your feet over. And then when you see the ball, make sure you got your back shoulder on the receiver's back hip. And if you're going to be playing the ball, you want your back arm going up first and then your front. Like if you're getting feedback from, from coach Dion Sanders, there is no feedback or nothing you can have mentally that would come close to being like, well, you do it or you try it because he's been there and he's done it. You can't challenge him in any front. When he tells you, I know what it takes to succeed. You have no choice, but to sit there and listen and do it. You have no choice. All those other coaches know what it takes to succeed based on previous players that they've coached. And that's okay. But they have a model of, oh, well, I coached this kid who did this, this, and this, and now he's really successful. Deion Sanders said, I did it. I was the best. So if you want to be the best, you better listen to what I have to say. And that, to me, is so invaluable and something that no other coach is going to have. And I think something that a lot of people across the country, judging Deion Sanders and predicting how successful he's going to be, they overlooked that aspect of his ability to coach players. And when he comes in the locker room and he gives his pre or post game or halftime speeches, and he's saying all this different stuff, it's not cringe because he's been there. He's done it. You know what it takes. Let's take a listen to his pregame speech against TCU in the locker room. And you tell me how you feel after you listen to this. Amen. Usually God give me a word long before this, but he's been holding it. Because it's not about them. This is about us. This has nothing to do with the team that's opposing us. This is about us. This ain't got nothing to do with the naysayers, the, the unbelievers, the haters, the doubters. This is about us. When we started this journey, we told you it was going to be trying. It was going to be tough. 
but you endure because it's about us. That man next to you is a miracle. That man next to you is a believer. That man next to you is a go-getter. That man next to you is a dog. That man next to you is somebody who wants this thing. That man next to you is somebody who believes. That man next to you is somebody that got to have it today. We ain't got tomorrow. We got now. We ain't got next. We got now. We ain't coming no more. I mean, it it doesn't get any better than that pregame speech from Deion Sanders to his team before they played TCU. It like does not get any better than that. Being able to deliver a speech the way that he does and get to the point at the end where he says, we don't have tomorrow, we have now. We don't have next, we have now. And when he says, we're not coming anymore. His players finished the sentence for him. He was, re- was about ready to say, we're here. And he, can't, he couldn't even get it out because his guys were so on the same wavelength as him. Dion, as a head coach, has a special power that's not available to any other coach because he can say things And he can provide anecdotal evidence based on his life. His words have more weight to them than any other coach in the entire country. Because he was and now is, as a head coach, a superstar as an athlete and in the world of sports. Almost every other coach in the entire country was a nothing nobody until the team that they coached and other people executed and succeeded, allowing them as coaches to gain the credit and notoriety that they definitely deserved as coaches. But Dion doesn't need to be the head coach of the Colorado Buffaloes. He's doing it because he loves the game. He wants to make an impact. Yeah, you know, the pocket, the, the, the payday isn't the worst. I get it. But he's, a, he's able to come over from Jackson State to Colorado and make an immediate impact. Because he's been there. He's done it. He knows what it takes. And he chooses his words very wisely. And because of that, CU is going to have 
really high levels of success during Deion Sanders' tenure as a head coach. That's just a guarantee. All you got to do is watch his speeches, watch the way his players treat him, and watch how they go out and perform for him. And you see right away that it's it's resonating at a very deep level for a lot of these players, and uh, they're going to have a lot of success. As long as Deion's there as a head coach, man, they're, they're going to be national champion-type contenders. Maybe not this year, but next year, the years after, it's going to happen. You just know it's going to happen. So it's amazing, man. It's amazing to see. Um, good for him. On the topic of TCU, or uh, on the topic of Colorado, right, they beat TCU in week one. Uh, this week, they take on rivalry. Uh, they have a rivalry game. God, that is such a tongue twister. Tongue twister. Rivalry week. Or rivalry game. The, the word rivalry when you're not thinking about it and really paying attention to the enunciation, it'll get you. It'll get you every time. Colorado, number 22. The new rankings come out this week. They come up to number 22. And they have a rivalry game against Nebraska. They're favored by three points. And I'll just tell you on the record right now, as this podcast goes up so that everyone knows it, I will be hammering Colorado minus three, like hammering it. That is an absurdly low line, in my opinion. Nebraska's 0-1. Apologies, I had to clear my throat there. Nebraska's, Nebraska is 0-1. They lost to Minnesota. I think besides that game, looking across the spectrum of college football, let's see. There's a top 25 matchup between Tulane and Ole Miss. Number 24, Tulane. Number 20, Ole Miss. Interesting sort of a matchup there. And yeah, then Colorado, Nebraska. Um, Notre Dame and NC State is interesting. NC State's not a bad club at all. Notre Dame's only favored by seven and a half. Probably going to be taking that as well, even though it's at NC State. Regardless, a uh, pretty good game. And then the game of the week is number 11, Texas, at number three, Alabama. Roll Tide! I am an Alabama fan. For those of you who don't know, I am 100% a wholehearted bandwagon Alabama fan. Did not go there. Grew up watching and rooting for their sports because it was always on TV. Every time I turned on a college football game on a Saturday, it was Alabama. And every time I turned on a national championship game as I was growing up, it was Alabama. Alabama is always relevant. I was always good. I always wanted to go there. I always wanted to play baseball there. I wanted to be a part of it. And uh, I've always rooted for them. My athletic career took me in a different direction, but it was not at the division one level. So I feel like still really still feel like, I have the ability to root for them, and I do. I love Alabama. I love Alabama football. I love Coach Saban, and I love the way they go about their business in that program and across other sports, too. 
I like Nate Oates a lot in the on the basketball program. Uh, their baseball teams started to make some some slow improvements. They've gotten better. They used to be bottom of the barrel in the SEC, and now they're competing in the NCAA tournament. At least they did last year. So good for them. And in the case of this game specifically, at Alabama, number number eleven, Texas, Alabama's favored by seven points. It'll be interesting to see just how that game unfolds. I think I, I, I think I could put it this way. I think the winner of the Alabama and Texas game in week two of college football, whoever it may be, will end up in the college football playoff when it's all said and done. You look at Alabama and they beat Texas, then they can certainly beat anybody in the regular season. And then if they play Georgia, who will probably be number one come time of the SEC championship, even if Alabama loses to them, Alabama will probably still stay in that top four, looking across the rest of college football. Because you know Ohio State and Michigan are going to play each other. And in the case of Ohio State, at least the way they've looked, if they lose to Michigan, that would be what would look like to be probably at that point their second or third loss because they looked horrible in week one. If Texas beats Alabama on the road, they won't lose the rest of the year until the college football playoff. I mean, there's nobody else in the Big 12 that could even give them a run. Nobody. If I looked at the Big 12 schedule this year or this week, There's no other team in the Big 12 that's ranked in the top 25. Are you out of your mind? The winner of that game will go on to be one of the four in the college football playoff. I wholeheartedly believe that. I'm interested to see how it unfolds, but ultimately, the winner of that game, man, is going to springboard uh, into a position of top 10 top 12 win putting them in a position to just roll through the rest of their schedule because if we can beat texas if you're alabama you can beat anybody on a regular season schedule and if texas beats alabama they were one point away last year two points away with a much better quarterback i hope alabama wins i'll be rooting for them but i think if at any point in the last two decades Texas had an opportunity to beat Alabama this game and this year 2023 would be their opportunity to do it. Alabama's got a first year starting quarterback. They've got uh shared reps in the backfield at running back. They've got a new tight end. They've got all new offensive line contributors. They've lost a ton of dudes to the NFL draft last year, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Texas only lost to him by one point last year with their backup quarterback playing two and a half or three quarters of that game. If Quinn Ewers stays on the field against Alabama for all four quarters, this game is going to be really tight and Alabama better count their blessings because if Texas were to ever beat Alabama, this year would be the year not saying they're going to, but I'm saying the winner of that game between Alabama and Texas will be in the college football playoff at the end of the season. 
I would guarantee it. It's going to be a great game. Wrapping up the NFL, uh, wrapping up with some football in the NFL. Like I said, today's uh, Wednesday, September 6, 2023. That means it's one day from the NFL. Detroit Lions, Kansas City Chiefs, tomorrow in Kansas City. Travis Kelsey, big boy tight end, is out. He's out. He is done and gone out and adios. Hyperextension of his knee is what I was trying to look up here, and I found it. Hyperextension of his knee, it's not like the season-ending thing. And also, like, it sounds like if they were playing on Sunday, like, he might be able to play. But the fact that they're playing Thursday makes it a little bit more difficult for the recovery and whatever. They're also, like, they're playing the Lions, so it's like they should win, but, like, who knows? But also, it's week one. Like, even if the Chiefs lose this game, like, we need Travis Kelsey for the whole year, so just there's no reason to push it. Uh, across the rest of the NFL, especially in week one, there's some great games on the slate. Buccaneers at Vikings, that'll be a great game. Titans and Saints, uh, probably won't be a super high-scoring game, but it's a tight spread in that New Orleans is favored by three. San Francisco at Pittsburgh. Now, you go on the road to Pittsburgh, it's going to be a tough matchup. Cardinals and Commanders um, jump off a bridge. Texans and Ravens. Ravens by 10. Woof. Uh, Eagles at Patriots will be really interesting because at New England is also a very tough, hostile environment, but the Eagles are better than the Patriots. So kind of interesting to see which side of those Eagles are better, home for the advantage, which one rears its head. Dolphins at Chargers, the same team playing each other. It'll be interesting to see. Rams and Seahawks at Seattle. I mean, like, yeah, kind of on paper. That one looks good. Cowboys and Giants looks like a good game. And then the Monday night game will be great with Buffalo taking on the New York Jets and Aaron Rodgers debut as a New York Jet. So we got a great, 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 great slate of NFL games. It's going to be really exciting. It's going to be really fun to watch. Did I mention Raiders at Broncos? That'll be a good game, too. Um... The rest of these games aren't bad, and I've only skipped over a couple. Oh, Bears and Packers at Bears will be great. Great. Awesome game. It'll be fun. NFL's back, man. It's fucking awesome. And this is the last part I wanted to wrap up with on this episode, specifically talking about now that football is basically in full swing, okay? If you know somebody who comes at you and says, oh, my favorite season of the year is the summer i love the summer i love the heat or they come they're like uh, i love the snow i love snowboarding i love you know the cold and all that stuff all of that's totally fine and valid and most of those opinions about what people's favorite seasons are is based on just like personal preference or maybe where they grew up or what they were exposed to as a child but any of your friends or anybody you know that comes at you and is like definitively telling you that any other season is better than fall they're dead wrong the fall is so much better than every other season 
And honestly, it's not even a debate. Like, it's not even close. I mean, I don't know what metric or what, what you want to base that off of, but the best holidays, let's see, Halloween, Thanksgiving, and the holidays. Now, the holidays are in the winter, but you know the holidays are coming the entire time you're in the fall. It's the only time of the year, besides maybe the spring, where your entire wardrobe and your entire outfit collection is at your disposal. You got a nice jacket? You got a nice pullover? Well, it's, you know, it's in the mid-60s during the day when you head over to your friend's house. But at night, when you guys go back outside to hang out, ooh, it'll be in the 40s or 50s. Throw that sport coat on. Double whammy. You got to show off the nice short sleeve tee and you show off the jacket. Jeans, perfect for any time in September, October, and November. Perfect. And God forbid, God forbid, it gets a little chilly. Then you just sit inside, you light that pumpkin candle. And by the way, you watch football every single weekend. Monday, there's football. Thursday, there's football. Saturday, there's football. Sunday, all day long, seven hours, commercial free. It doesn't get any better than the fall. It doesn't. Anybody who says, oh, the winter, oh, the summer, oh, I just love the sun or I love the snow, that is called personal preference. That's not called factual information. Because no other season can compete with the fall. The leaves changing, the brisk breeze in the air, every type of food you think of, Thanksgiving get together with the family, Halloween is electric. Give me a break, man. The fall is so superior. So good. It is so good. And not to mention, it's now that time of year that gets me so excited to get up out of bed, no matter the day, no matter the time of the week. Because if it's Monday, start of the week, oh, man, sucks. No, 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 no. We got football tonight. Tuesday? Oh, we just had football yesterday, and now I can actually like focus on some other stuff and get some work done. Honestly, I'm good with that. Take a little bit of time off, do whatever. Wednesday? Well, it's the middle of the week, but oh, football's tomorrow. Thursday, we got football. And then Friday? Well, there's no football, but it's Friday. Saturday, football all day. Sunday, football all day. It's now the time of year where my week is basically two, two and a half actual days, and it doesn't get any better than that. It's so electric. It like my mood visibly changes visibly. Ask my fiance. Like during the summer, it's nice out. It's sunny. It's hot every day. And I'm like grumpy because it's just like, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. Now it's Thursday. Oh my God. Get this week over with. Now it's like we're Wednesday. I'm just getting ready for football four out of the next five days. 
Like that's so that's so awesome. So awesome. I love it. I love it. Episode 61. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I certainly did myself. Football, football, football. We love to see it. Um, if you guys are listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, I greatly appreciate it. If you guys want to check out some more of our content, clips, things of that nature, be sure to check us out on social media at We Know Ball Sports. We Know Ball Sports, Instagram and TikTok. My handle on Twitter is at Ryan Knows Ball. Again, if you're listening on those podcasting platforms, we greatly appreciate it. Be sure to check us out on social media and give us a follow. Check us out on YouTube. We know ball sports. Same deal. We got clips from the podcast. We got uh, ranking videos. We got all kinds of stuff. But ultimately, we're everywhere. And we'd appreciate the support because if you're listening, you might as well check us out everywhere else because that means you know ball because we know ball together. So hopefully you guys enjoyed episode 61, the We Know Ball podcast, and we'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace.